0: Welcome back to the Super Sapiens Podcast, where we explore Super Sapiens metrics, the app features and experience, and how Super Sapiens around the world are driving the next step in human performance evolution. Homo Sapiens meet Super Sapiens. When I have a good base on the road and a good shape on the road, I can transfer it to the track. It's it's always hard because you have to you have to do the standing start. This is where I always struggle coming from the road, right? And it's kind of a different engine, but also on the road, I'm always preparing my time trials, riding my time trial bike, being focused on time trialing. So the muscles already are kind of ready
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Super Sapiens podcast. Wherever you are listening from today, I'm your host Zylin Faneke. With me now is David Lippman, the director of applied science and content at Super Sapiens. And as you can tell, I'm the humble one. I'm just Zayland. David has a whole sentence in front of his name. How are you, mate? Uh,
2: I'm good, thanks, mate. You have a title as well. You just don't use it. Yours is much more, uh, much more pretty than mine. So I, uh, yeah, I'm yeah, i good, mate. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Um, excited about this episode, Lisa Klein. I've got some history with her in that um, we worked at the same professional cycling team that she turned pro at. She spoke about that, about being a young 18 year old, you know, and what that looked like versus now olympic champion world champion years later fascinating to chat to her about her evolution in the sport so stick around for that before we get to lisa we got a couple of community shoutouts people on censor doing some crazy crazy things in the sporting world first of that being anjan Stojanovic. we've mentioned him a few times i don't know if we've mentioned him in the context of doing an iron man yet david
2: yeah, he's doing really well. Did uh, awesome in uh, Ironman Florida. Caught ninth and 758. When the eight-hour barrier is a, is a bit of a barrier, I guess, or a huge barrier for people mentally and, and physically in Ironman. So that's really great work from Anjan. So really, uh, really stoked to see that. He's been been flying, been succeeding for a while, and and that's a huge result.
1: Yeah, Check him out on social media and on Strava. I remember we first covered him doing a half marathon. He's very generous in sharing his glucose trends. So go check him out on his social media um profiles to see how he feels for these amazing events and then M- matthew Marquart, former um guest on the podcast turned pro this year um pro triathlete this year he was third overall in in the same race in ironman
2: florida yeah we're not going to take too much credit but we we were the first to get him on a podcast or something like that so you know uh <laughs> no matt, matt did really well i uh, got third it was a tough run battle he tells me so really stoked to see him get third and really it out and. Yeah, he's doing really well, Matt, flying, so yeah, stoked to see it from him, well-deserved. And then we're
1: recording this off the back of New York Marathon, having just happened this past weekend, we had a couple of Super Sapiens taking part in the event.
2: Yeah, of course, we had a few there, I'm sure many more that we don't know about, but uh, at the very least, we had uh, Fatal, one of our co-founders, she ran under five hours there, so 4.54, so great work to, to Fitz there, and then Freddie Ovette as well, who um, some may have seen the the YouTube video of uh, that we put out. Uh, so he went 239 there, which was unbelievable. That's, um, that's sorry, 237. Uh, he's flying, uh, absolutely flying in that time in New York because it's, you know, it's not the fastest course either. So he'd be stoked with that, I'm sure, uh, having run 245 in Berlin last year. So it's a really, really great achievement from him.
1: I'm mostly stoked about that because you beat him in Berlin and he's gone yet, so no, I didn't, PB, so very I, didn't
2: I did not beat him in Berlin. I did not. I got very close uh-huh. to him. I was like <laughs> I was like fifteen or twenty seconds behind him. I went like two forty five, forty five, and I think he went like two forty five, ten or something. So uh I can't be sure of his time, but I remember not beating him. I was very close but didn't quite get him.
1: And then Stephen Scully and old Scully also did Dublin Marathon. Uh, Scully, we've got an episode with him. Go and check it out. One of our most listened to episodes and not surprising at all because what an incredible human being he is.
2: Yeah, we got some great feedback on that um, from Scully. Yeah, he got third at Dublin. He's been very happy with that. So I'm really stoked to see that for him. Uh, When we recorded, we recorded quite a way in advance and he was going to run Berlin, but ended up not running Berlin and running Dublin instead uh, a few weeks later. So just stoked to see him pull off another great marathon, ran 2.11 and, and a bit, and uh, yeah, he's really happy. So yeah, couldn't be happier to, to hear that from Scully.
1: Um, David, what's happening with you? Your ankles recovered. I saw that you were doing some um, intervals, some puking intervals on the treadmill, and now finally you allowed to be running outside again. Is that true?
2: Yeah, the ankle is on the mend, uh, working hard at it, as I have been since I, since I heard it. But uh, yeah, have been allowed outside, which is good, um, building some volume and, and allowed to do some intensity. So the ankle has been responding well to intensity, which is good. Uh, so just trying to maintain some of that while I build volume and and make sure I don't injure something else in the process of it all. But uh, yeah, got to go outside the other day and will continue to do so. And back running up to about an hour uh, easy and then, yeah, intervals and, and some pace and I think probably the takeaway I would say for other people is you'd be surprised how well you can maintain aspects of things with just some cross training. I did a ton of rowing and a, and a few other things, and it's held my higher intensity running really, really well. I'm running similar paces to what I would outdoors on the treadmill um, with a bit of an incline just to sort of even things out, but in not in super shoes, in, in normal shoes. So I've been quite surprised by that. I thought I could maintain something, but I've been – it almost feels like I've improved a little bit. So we'll see how that translates to, to outdoors.
1: I must say, since you've been running outdoors now, again, you seem a little bit happier and less grumpy. I'm not sure if it's coincidence or if there's any correlation.
2: Uh, that's coincidence, man. I'm still grumpy. Um, so uh, what about you, mate? You're in a marathon over the weekend. Uh, that's, it's great to hear. I mean, I'm going to write a blog about it, so don't share too much about it, but uh, tell us about times and those sort of things for you. Cause it's, it's a huge PB.
1: Ran a marathon over the weekend yeah. I came home with 3.41, 13-minute PB for me. It's sort of where you ballparked. Very well done where I would finish, so well done to you. Um, The first 7Ks, I wasn't so sure if it would be a PB day. Um, Yeah, it was mostly a downhill marathon. I think there was 1,300 meters of elevation loss, but there was still about 330 meters of elevation gain. A lot of that came in the first 7Ks, and, you know, I suffer from back problems. I've talked about that a lot here before. The marathon was up at the Kruger national park and before I spent three days in the car, which my back doesn't always enjoy, but it was my wife's birthday. So happy wife, happy life, happy to have a bad back <laughs> if, uh, if there's peace at home. Um, but my back yeah, killed me in the first seven K's and I just made the decision to take the pressure off, not focus so much on time and PB, just go by feel. And it actually alleviated a lot of the pressure and I just yeah, started enjoying it. And yeah. I could be very conservative in the first half. Started catching so many people in the last 7 to 10 Ks, and I would put that down to being conservative in the beginning and also fueling, just fueling, fueling, but I'm not going to say too much more about the fueling because you are going to write a blog on that. So, yeah, happy to come home with a
2: new Marathon PB of 341. Congratulations, mate. I think the things I would take away from that as listeners are pacing properly and, and, you know, you were hampered somewhat by by other things, but yeah, pacing properly and, and trying to be more relaxed about it. And I said this to you off air when we talked a bit about it was like stress around the race and worry about performance and worry about pace is rarely helpful. So, you know, it's easier said than done, but you need to find a way that uh, you can leave that stuff go and, and not do it because there is... I I will die on the hill of the way to pace a marathon is to start slowly and and build into it, Um, particularly if it has a harder second half, like New York did, for instance. And so, yeah, I just, there is no reason to try and run fast early. You need to run appropriately early and that might be quite slowly and you might need to feel uncomfortably easy.
1: Yeah, the legendary comrades runner in South Africa, Bruce Fordyce says, he's got a quote, he says, start like a coward, finish like a hero. Um, but it is, as you say, it's easier said than done. We, most of us, know what to do. It's implementing it on the day that's the hardest part. Right. So, looking forward to that blog post. Um, I could spend another twenty minutes here talking about me if you if you like. Quite I don't mind that actually. Um, but also looking forward to 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 the blog that you're gonna write. I'll get some uh, a photo shoot set up, some modeling photos, model for them, and get those over to you as well for
2: the blog if you if you like. I mean. I don't even know what to say, mate. I think we should put the put listeners out of their misery and start the episode with Lisa. <laughs> if you haven't checked out the social media uh, of, of this, uh, there's a video that's going to go on our socials uh, of Lisa showing us her medals. You'll hear this audio in the podcast. It is very worth watching this video. Yep, exactly.
1: Enjoy Lisa Klein. Today we're talking to Lisa Klein. Lisa is a professional cyclist with Little Trek. She is an Olympic gold medalist from Tokyo 2021 and world record holder in the team pursuit with Germany. She's also a world champion in the mixed relay team time trial, national German time trial champion and multiple medalists at the European Championships. She has won the Healthy Aging Tour as well as the Benner Ladies Tour twice and has a love-hate relationship with coffee stops lisa so lovely to have you here how are you doing
0: i'm very good thanks i'm just uh yeah back from the us out of my off season and yeah yesterday the first time on the bike again so i'm pretty happy with that
2: and you went running this morning let's start with that yeah not because of anything else other than i find this very interesting for a cyclist so you went running uphill some serious uphill using poles why so is this just base phase phase? is this for fun what's the story
0: um uh yeah so literally um the weather was bad and yesterday i was on the bike uh, after four and a half weeks again because i also had a surgery and yeah after three weeks doing like just you know what i actually want i had the feeling like i really want to um yeah i really want to do something so i start running a little bit because i could not do anything else and yeah i just i just saw it the last um yeah summer and also um this summer that my boyfriend is preparing his season he's a he's a skier like a nordic combined athlete um to go for a run and uphill with the sticks and yeah you just get your heart rate higher or literally you can I mean, if it's really steep, I'm not really running, obviously, but where you can, you run and downhill, obviously, I could also not go really fast. But yeah, this is why I'm actually doing it just to now get back into fitness and yeah, to start riding my bike more. Of course, also now I see how it goes and uh, yeah, so now I search still for to do something else and um, yeah, also gym and.
1: Very cool. What was the surgery on do you want to talk about it or not really
0: yeah yeah i can talk about it i had a i had a saddle sauna since actually it got really really bad um also already in olympic year uh 2021 and it got worse and worse and i really could not sit on my saddle anymore so i don't know i i could never ride my bike without pain i mean obviously now i have also pain because i had a surgery but I have the feeling that it's it's going to be much better already now and it's going to be much better. And yeah, I, I would have liked to do it already um, the year before. Um, there I had another surgery on my pinky finger because I crashed on it and uh, the joint down here was kaput. So literally... Uh, yeah, I decided to try with a new bike, new saddle to try like it was, but I knew already, like I talked already with doctors about the su- surgery and I decided to, to wait and yeah, during the season I realized that was actually a mistake and I got great support from my little track teammates because a lot of girls have experience already with that. It's just a topic where it's just silence around it actually but then i realized how many riders in this team already had a surgery and also my team um including ina who is our ds she's just really supportive and great like a super good ds and yeah she also supported me all the way through like encouraged us as well so yeah and now i'm i'm super happy that i've done it and did the step and recovered
2: uh, quite well so it sounds like the team are pretty supportive do they have much say in when you can get surgeries and that sort of thing is it a discussion do they suggest things or is it more about you make your own decisions
0: of course i mean my decision was to to do the surgery and also here in germany but also like my race schedule for example like on my schedule was still china and i was like yeah but then i'm running super late with the surgery and yeah then going to the us and the team camp so literally they kept my schedule in the end free and i already raced australia in january so i guess yeah telling them that i want to do the surgery um in already in the end of september they yeah they totally stood behind me like i didn't have to fight for this so yeah i think that was that was pretty pretty good
1: Lisa, that was actually going to be a question of mine. Um, you've been a pro cyclist for nine years now, and this is the third team that you've been part of. Um, how have you seen women's cycling progressed in those nine years?
0: Oh, it's, it's insane. Like, I mean, it's good for us we get more chances, but also you have to adapt too. Like, I, I just had a lot of injuries and crashes and doing track and road and the roads is so much more professional I have the feeling that I mean now I still go for the Olympics on the track but you have to really focus on one thing and you have to be in every single race 100% ready on the line even if you are just supporting your teammates because the level is damn high which is which is great gives us more publicity more chances new races like and it's also like I think what I heard like from um, from people who watch cycling, like women cycling now, they are just, yeah, it's incredible. Like the feedback is incredible. Like because obviously sometimes we race from kilometer zero and it's insane. It's changed a lot.
2: Well, you've got a, a fan here. I uh, I actually don't watch any cycle. I only watch the women cycling, and only this. I only started this year since we started talking to people on the podcast. So uh, prior to that, I'd never watched more than about ten minutes of cycling in my life. So. I watched, I think, every stage of the women's tour this year. So, um, yeah, that speaks volumes to it. Uh, I like the product a lot. So, I guess, how did you start in cycling? It sounds like you've been involved professionally for a while, but, of course, long before that. So, where did it all start? Um, When I was
0: 15, I went to a boarding school one hour at home, uh, from home. And, yeah, that that was actually the real start. I was always doing a lot of sport because I was a really active child and that I was tired in, in the evening. My parents did everything they could with, with us, with me. And um, yeah, literally then I decided to to change the school and I went to this like kind of, yeah, it was a boarding school, but also with a sports school, which means in Germany, you just have people in one class that are just athletes actually, young athletes. So then I just, I just grew up in cycling there. And then... I did my uh, school, my graduation in school, and then I already signed in this year where I was graduating school already with with uh, with Bigla, where Cylon was also in this team, and I signed there for a year I think, and then I signed another two years, just after the classics, so pretty early.
1: How did the connection with Bigler come about? How how did you join the team?
0: Yeah, I mean in the first, when the team started, I mean everything was new, and for me, the whole professioning cycling was new. I mean, op- obviously, uh, Thomas was uh, yeah, a really strong personality with sometimes a really rough character um in an education. but I also came from the German school, um, which was for me like like, yeah. For sure, hard, but kind of like, mm, OK, um, yeah, and then was a, for me was a really tough entrance because I was just graduating school, getting 18 years old and I was a professional on the paper, but not in my head. I just wanted to have fun and I didn't want to train at all because in juniors I didn't train. I just had fun. I had some rides with a guy. We went hard. We went racing. OK, we went for a party job was done was super fun that was my best time in cycling but then i realized oh shit now i'm a professional but i'm not professional at all so i had to to grow up and to be a professional and also live the lifestyle and yeah that was for sure not not the easiest thing um but yeah i mean um yeah the team also developed um yeah and then anyway in two thousand uh 18 i joined in the beginning of the year i joined kenyan's SRAM, which was cool because it was also a german team um the headquarter was close to my uh my base in erfurt it was just one hour i had the germans around me i had ronnie and yeah um coach and everything so that was uh i would say a bit more relaxed and uh, a really fun time in the team
1: just to give people context quickly, um, Thomas, you, when you say Thomas, you're referring to Thomas Campana, the general manager of the Big Lit team, who is one of the most demanding and exceptional leaders in cycling when it comes to turning rough diamonds into world champions. So it was 100% the wrong place to go if you just want to have fun and not train and relax, because he's probably the most high performance manager on the circuit. But did Like when you you say Canyon Shram was a little more relaxed, but did you more by that point mature and have the mindset of a professional athlete already or when did that transformation happen for you?
0: I mean, in the end, for sure, it was hard, but I mean, with a lot of things, he was right and it was an important education as well, because at this stadium, I was, I just raised on the track and rode a little bit for fun because I'm not talented on the road, but he really believed in me and said like, no you can be really, really successful on the road. And I was just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but for, for sure, it was demanding. And in some ways it's like, rather you, you can handle it or bye-bye. It was like a fine line there. And um, yeah, I mean, in the end it was a longer process, but while I was like working harder and making steps forward pretty fast on the road, having a little more like having success, winning young riders jerseys, for sure, the motivation got higher and I start realizing, okay, um, yeah, what I actually want and what my goal is.
2: So talk about, talk to us a little bit more about that. When did you realize, you know, you mentioned when you started, you weren't very professional, even though you had a professional contract. When did you realize you could have a successful career as a pro, like a really long, successful career?
0: Uh, actually, I was really successful in uh, 2019. 2018 was a little bit, and then I had uh, I got hit by a car. And then 2019, I was really successful on the road. And uh, yeah, there on I was uh, yeah really motivated to go like to the Olympics first. This was my first goal, Olympics. Only the Olympics and after Olympics was quite a hard year last year, because I had to I had to get myself an order back because I was like, oh my God, what do I do now? Actually, I'm just like, <laughs> it's crazy. I had to set no, new goals and yeah, finding back the motivation and yeah.
1: What is it about the Olympics that is so appealing?
0: I think it's, it's crazy when you reach the highest goal and you you have always that goal and you're so focused and suddenly it's there and then you just i don't know it's like for sure i enjoyed it but it's kind of like it's a it's a hard feeling to describe for sure but it's like in the sport you feel suddenly like empty even when you have a schedule and routines but you feel kind of empty so, yeah, I really had to fight back my way, like, yeah. So th- that was a hard time. Then I had, again, an injury on my shoulder. I had a surgery and a lot of pain, and that really forced a bad situation, like, for me. I mean, no comparison to now, but I really had to uh, fight back also the joy and what's actually, yeah, everything what, what's important to be successful.
2: And so where is your joy in cycling come from now? You know, if it's not, if it's not in pursuit of a gold medal, where does the joy come from now?
0: Uh, Actually, I mean, more or less the same. I just also like to ride my bike and I really enjoy it to be also with the team. And yeah, now the team is pretty, pretty cool. So new leaders, experienced leaders, you can learn so much around the world, meet people from even from South Africa, like Silent and no, it's just just, uh, the same things. And also when you achieve something, you work so hard and then you achieve it. Like, yeah, also the hard work, like the way towards also, especially the way towards Olympics, how difficult this actually was. And that you can always somehow make it back when you're not just in several pieces, you know. It's just, yeah, that kind of, that kind of things. And also the freedom, like for sure, this morning when uh, my boyfriend and I and seven with the jet lag uh, was uh, the doping control, you just say, ah, great, great freedom. But you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, we have our race schedule, but when I'm at home, I can schedule my training by myself. and It's kind of like a different life compared to go every day to work. So I, I appreciate that too.
1: Lisa, what does it take to win a gold medal at the Olympics? David loves high performance. I mean, we talk about this often, you know, how demanding it is to be the best, best, best at something. And you said that that goal completely drained you because it was so, such a big goal of yours, but yeah, what does it take to win a gold medal at the Olympics? Cause most of us will never experience that
0: yeah i mean the thing the main thing was high emotions for sure like i was i i will always remember the final heat then realizing we raised another world record which was also really important and then that we finally won that we are not second or third that we really won and also, I realized it already in the last lap because I was in the front and I could see the Brits already in front of us. So I was like, oh my God, we're going to win. And yeah, also, yeah, it was insane. Like, the after that, I mean, I was, you just yell, you know, you all sh- shout it out and that's just, it was just incredible. I mean, that, that race itself was also like, It was also a big team effort and everything just went well. Like we were lucky that everyone was doing their job perfectly. And four of us, and we just could finish it perfectly off. Like the technique, everything, like, and then we went so fast. Also the speed, like the pressure in the corner, when you go constantly over 60 Ks an hour, it's just different feeling of racing for sure on the track. Like this was really, 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 really amazing.
2: Talk to me about, you you come into the lead, you see the British jersey, like, what go? I mean, you think we're going to do this, but there's got to be something else going through your mind. Like, how does that, I can only imagine it's super emotional. You're thinking, you know, here's my whole life. Everything's built towards this.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, it was, it was hard to realize, seriously. It took me so long to realize what actually happened, really, or that we made it, because like I was so focused on Olympics, so stubborn to go to the Olympics, also in the ITT on the road, like Olympics, Olympics, Olympics. It was just this one, and everything else was a bonus and just a nice chance. And then it was there.
1: So how do you balance? Crazy. How do you balance that goal with the team goals? Do you sit down with the team and you say these are my goals, but the team still needs you to do another job on the road? You know, um, yeah. how do you balance the, the track and? with the with the team goals
0: yeah i mean 2019 i was also successful on the road so that made it made it easier because i could speak out what i actually want and they were like paying attention and letting me race on the track because obviously i was successful and it doesn't matter who you are when you are successful it's nice they don't complain right if you're not successful they start complaining that was that was the thing in the end after racing too much on the track or not developing on the road that i actually should have because of some things even sickness whatever bad luck but also maybe definitely racing a track or whatever There was just not enough time sometimes to relax or to have an off season properly because you race on the track you travel around the world you have the world cups and you do it year by year by year but at some point somehow i i had to pay for it okay you know, you always push yourself and you do what you can and then you don't want to hear that. When you when it happened. then you're like, okay, <laughs> you are now smarter. But um, yeah, so literally that can be a little bit... When you are working and being successful also for the team and the way that they, they are paying for, they pay you for, then everything works smooth. And that happened too. So towards the Olympics was good. I was successful. Also like one podium in the classics, knocker and so on. So like I was racing quite, quite good on the road. It was okay then. And then, yeah, I mean, then I didn't have any problems and the schedule was, was
2: fine. And talk to us a bit about training differences, I guess, between, you know, track and, and preparing for say, uh, the classics or, or other road stuff. What does that look like in a training week what are the differences
0: yeah i mean it's hard to mix it up really like i'm focused on my road training and then i go b- shortly before on the track and then i just do some activation and then with a good road check i'm i'm good on a track normally
1: okay and equipment wise do you pay attention like you are specifically very strong in the time trial you've always been strong in the time trial and then on the track you know, aerodynamics plays a role as well. Are you the kind of athlete who pays particular attention to your equipment?
0: Yeah, to so every single detail. Like aerodynamic plays a big role. Also, I felt that this year on the road, because I had a new bike, I did one aero test which were not working well, and my cockpit was just not that air. Like I, I mean, for me it was. You see, also the power for sure was missing, but. Things were not coming together and I can tell you like may, plays a big role to, with the aerodynamics. So yeah, on the track for sure, we work hard for this too. And yeah, we have fast bikes, we have good suits and so on like helmets and whatever. And that's pretty important too.
2: And so how much time are you spending on road versus mountain bike versus track bike, these sort of things maybe across a year? So that Mainly might uh, give us a bit of-
0: yeah. Mainly road, yeah. We are not so often on the track, to be honest. We go there, we race, we go back.
1: And you find that switch easily. And what does a training week look like for you? Like how many hours are you doing in a week? And how, how is like base training versus intensity? How does that look?
0: It also depends on, on the period where you are, you know, off season, coming out of off season, preparing the road season, but also in January, the Europeans on the track. So. Literally that's a really smart question, but it's it's not too hard to answer because literally when I have a good base on the road and a good shape on the road, I can transfer it to the track. Um it's it's always hard because you have to you have to do the standing start. This is where I always struggle coming from the road, right? And it's kind of a different engine. But also on the road, I'm always preparing my time trials, riding my time trial bike being focused on time trialing, So the muscles already are kind of ready. And then I also, for the classics, you do shorter stuff and 30-30s for the VO2 max. That also helps me for the track I have the experience. But for sure then, like coming to the Olympics on the track, you have to see the build up. also. You had in January, we prepare, we have a one national camp, and then we have European Championships. Then after the Classics, we have one World Cup in Canada. And then we do some preparation for the Olympics. So you were continually always getting back to the track. But the main training, in my opinion, has to be on the road because you get also the engine to to do four, three heats when you want to win. You need to do three heats. And in the Olympics, we had the first round and the final. In between one and a half hours like first round one and a half hours and then again final that plays definitely in my cards because i was like okay fine another one
2: and so how does what do you do in that in that 90 minutes you know you've got an hour and a half what does that look like
0: ah yeah you cool down you have a little meeting you just prepare yourself for the next one and then you warm up again and there's not so much time you sit in the box talk to your teammates and that was a pretty cool meeting after the first round at Olympics. They say like, Oh yeah. Lisa Brenner said, Oh yeah, I have definitely some fuel in the tank left. And I was just like, Okay, then we go even faster. <laughs> like everyone was like, Okay, let's switch it. And I was just like, Cool. Super good.
2: That's gotta be a cool feeling to have somebody, you know, you've just raced really well, you got to the final and someone says, Yeah, that wasn't all we have, like that's yeah. gonna feel cool. It's gonna be very I, confident.
0: Yeah. I I loved it that we didn't have to wait so long. That was cool. Like you're just in it and you just get it done. Yeah.
1: And what does nutrition look like in that period? Are you eating in that period? Like how much are you eating? What does nutrition look
0: like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, after the run, the first round, you know, some sugar for sure, because you had the peak. And then I didn't even realize, I think I haven't had any protein. You just have something small again like a little bar or even a banana one hour before and then just you know a banana one hour before the final and then i would just have another like warm-up and then like some sugar drink or gel and normally you prepare already the caffeine before the first first round so you don't have to take i think i didn't took more because i was awake enough so
2: so you mentioned caffeine and we mentioned in the intro, uh, you got a bit of a love hate relationship with coffee rides. Yeah. Talk to us, talk to us about your experience with coffee rides.
0: Nah, here we go. No, we are in the topic. Literally when I have a training, I train and I need to get it done and stopping there. I just actually, sometimes I do it on a six hours ride when I just have to eat something properly, but I mean. A really, really coffee stop is hard for me because then I sit down, I have a coffee, I have a cake, and then I start riding, and then I just drop, like I get a, a, a spike, and then I drop down so badly. And then I feel like, okay, I don't want to ride my bike anymore. I get like kind of like dizzy, and you can ride, but it's just, it's just a super, super bad feeling. And I get this always when I have a proper coffee stop. I hate this. So literally, rather longer, like a really long stop, like go home and do two sessions or yeah I don't know just ride home 20 minutes and be home and eat but I hate to have a this is for me is the worst feeling to have a spike and then I drop really low like down to glucose 50 55 it's I feel really bad with that and I just hate it because I have the feeling my body is just under stress that's not worth the coffee stop. Rather, I get my training done, get dressed, go out for a coffee.
1: We have a blog post on this, on cafe legs and what actually happens. But David, I want you to explain to us what, what is happening to her glucose.
2: Well, she's explained it very well herself. It goes really high, right? You stop, so you go from a period of um, metabolic state where your body's outputting whatever it needs energy-wise, depending on how hard you're riding. And generally, these rides are low intensity, so it's not outputting a lot of glucose. but probably a little bit is being used. Um, you stop, so you have this, your metabolism doesn't stop automatically. It's not a light switch. So your metabolism still a little bit up. You sit down, you have some coffee. This may or may not have sugar in it. You may or may not have milk, which, you know, if you've got oat milk, that's even more sugar. Um, mm, definitely. You, then you have your cake, which is again, full of sugar and, and the body is again, ramping down slowly. It's recovering. So unlike during exercise where the, there's not a lot of insulin release. You're starting to release insulin. Now you've released some insulin, it's storing some glucose and you start riding. Now, as we know, there are two ways to take glucose out of the blood. One is, well, there's only one way, but there are two things that drive that. So the GLUT4 receptors uh, pull the glucose out, but they are activated by insulin or by muscle contraction. So now we have circulating insulin because we've sat down, we've sort of resting, we've eaten. Now we start muscle contraction. So we have Two things drawing glucose out of the blood, and we end up with a rebound hypoglycemia, which is exactly what Lisa described perfectly. Low glucose, dizziness, probably sweaty, feels terrible, feel really heavy in the legs. It's um, yeah, it's horrible. It's a really horrible feeling. You can have some vision issues. Yeah,
0: yeah, and also I tried also different things. You know, to have just an espresso and to eat mm-hmm. something salty because the worst is also. I never drink oat milk because it gives me always a spike. It doesn't matter how I combine it. Even when I have my solid muesli with like the whole whole grain oats, whatever. If I put put oat milk in there, it's just rather put normal milk in or sometimes it's just a little bit of yogurt and water. Or, you know, you can all test that if you have the super sapiens and you can all test that. But you will definitely see also on an empty stam- stomach. Like now, when I after the training would eat, uh, would drink the oat milk, it's the same like Harry. Would gives you a spike, which obviously after the training, after a hard intensity, intensity, you actually want that to refill your glucose store, 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 storage. Um, yeah, but literally, like especially that's everything what you can do wrong. Having a latte with oat milk and then a sweet cake. So you have the spike of the sugar, you start riding and you drop down because literally you have to somehow get, you will definitely get the spike and you have to somehow catch the spike that it not dropping so low, which makes it hard because then you relax, your body thinks, oh, I'm ready, job is done, and then you go again. And, I'm like, and for me, it's, I just cannot, Some I think some can handle it pretty well, but I cannot, cannot really handle it. I
1: don't know. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah you, you're, um. Obviously, very fit, right? And you're very young and metabolically healthy, so your insulin response is going to be uh, more. You're going to be more insulin sensitive. But you also there is genetic components to this or individual differences. Some people never really experience rebound hypoglycemia. Some people do, and some people a lot of it's to do with the, the timing of what they're eating and and when. So, uh, you know, I'm one of those people like you who experiences it. So, uh, yeah, I have great sympathy.
0: I think I think, uh, I think uh, a lot of people do. Because they also feel then normal non-athletes, they feel tired after they eaten or whatever, or they feel not really fit during the day. Also, when you eat, like just bullshit before you go to sleep, they experience bad sleep and everything. It's like it doesn't have to give you always a huge spike, but they can feel it. Everyone can feel it.
2: It's interesting you mentioned that we've Dylan and I have talked on the podcast previously about his pre-bed cereal habit. So um, it's good that he's getting some more feedback on on not having to eat cereal late at night.
0: Depends on which cere- cereals, but like for sure, juice and like the sugary cereals are not the worst thing you actually can do. But <laughs> do it straight after you run, Silent know, you're right. <laughs>
1: yeah, then very... you then
0: you will enjoy it.
1: Yeah, it's a, uh, it's, I'm just, a...
0: it's just the timing. It's just the timing. It's the timing. I hate to restrict myself. I love to eat, and I love to eat also. Like nice stuff, cake from my mom, whatever. (laughs) For sure, sometimes I'm also like now I had off season. Also after the dinner, we had yeah in the US some some nice uh, dessert, of course. And I was like, whatever. We anyway go out, maybe dancing, maybe walking. But it's still not great. And I didn't enjoy a good sleep or whatever and I couldn't I felt like a couple of days doing that. I felt like everything, like my skin just everything is getting worse. Like I don't know, I just can't feel it. But yeah.
2: But
1: how do you handle that during the season then, Lisa? If you don't like restricting yourself, you wanna have something nice but you have to perform, it's it's key classic season. How do you approach your your, your food choices then?
0: Yeah. You know, that's that's a really good question, because you have to really keep in mind several things. Your immune system, but also you race more. Like now, preparing the season is easier, because you don't have to race with a full sugar load, which also interrupts the gut, whatever. I mean, you have to train it anyway. Um, but the base training is the most comfortable thing you do, literally. When you get back to intervals, you have to load up with sugar after the training, during the training. Um, Literally, yeah, I mean, the weight is always, I'm always a rider who's a little bit struggling or have to really look out for, to balance the weight. And also another thing where you have to look out for um, is the cycle of uh, a woman. Um, So, which I really pay attention to. And then also like, yeah, I mean, what kind of period you are. Do I have to lose weight? Do I have to maintain the weight? Do I prepare a big classics? Do I p- p- uh, prepare a Giro or a vuelta, like a contour? These kind of things. So, yeah. But also, I I don't try. I, I try to not o- overthink overthink it. But having habits, routines, that really helps me. Like creating routines in the morning, before rest days. Like training days and also testing on the sensor, like breakfast and what actually is good for me and what not like oat milk or whatever. I mean, I don't need oat milk. I don't have the desire to drink oat milk, oat milk, but you know, sometimes I have the desire obviously to eat chocolate.
2: (laughs) So you've been a professional for nine years. Uh, we just spoke about some nutrition stuff and we've heard lots from people on this podcast about what cycling was like maybe 30 years ago uh, and what the sort of nutrition culture was like then what have you seen change in the nutrition culture and in the cycling teams you've been involved in in the last nine years
0: a lot i just learned so much i i learned the last years a lot like since two years actually also now this, this year I joined Super Sapiens and Super Sapiens already, you guys were with us in, in Canyon. But I was working with you actually since 2020 in August. But and until I got a benefit and really got into the topic and learned from them. I mean I collected my data, but the first I would say one and a half years, I get I got nothing out of it. Nothing for me. And now also like people that teach you got just more into it, it develops pretty quickly.
1: So what was the change? Why did you become more interested in it later on?
0: Because I realized that it's actually quite important. I also read a book about it, about glucose spikes and everything. So I realized that it's actually, oh shit, it's quite actually important also for your future health and it's like, I was just really curious and interested in because it's like it's also not only in sport for sure in sport is super important but also in your normal life and for your general health so that made me pretty cool curious like yeah and it was just it was fun it was nice I I'm still enjoying it to try new things and to yeah also chat to other people that are into this topic and just yeah collect more experience and things that you learn. I think in this, in this topic, you, you, you cannot really
2: stop learning. So you mentioned a couple of times in different answers, things around your health. I think it's a really interesting topic for somebody who's so young and so early in their professional career that you're still so focused on health. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because sometimes performance isn't healthy and sometimes the two are, a, it, it, is a real tension between them.
0: I think I just had a lot, of many surgeries and uh, a lot of things that my health were not on point and I really, I don't know, I really appreciate my health too. Um, for sure, a high performance sport is super important, but I was on points where I, I really did not give, I would say, a shit about my health. I was just like, okay, I want to run a race. It doesn't matter what. I don't know, maybe it's also my age. I... Uh, i don't know somehow when you suffer when when you suffer is the age it's like kind of like when you're younger you just think not ahead you just think about season is coming okay let's do some spring classics. boom go for it yeah i mean you just get more mature and that's also why i maybe also got more interested in this topic and uh also i i realized i can perform better and more stable. So. That's also pretty important.
1: I think it's definitely an age thing and a maturity thing. I met you when you were 18 when you turned professional, as you met, as you mentioned earlier, we worked on the same team. I mean, you were 18, you're virtually a child, you know, now speaking to you now as a 27 year old nine years later as a professional cyclist, I can definitely see how you've matured. And I think all the life experiences you've had as well, like you mentioned, the surgeries, et cetera, I think coming into contact with different teams, different environments, I think it does probably force you to grow up. And also the more goals you chase, like Olympics, world titles, and the ups and downs and challenges on the way to those goals and achieving it, it probably just yeah, forces you to, to grow up very quickly. And sometimes in a high-performance environment, maybe quicker than your peers and your friends who never became professional athletes but just went to go work a normal job sometimes can, you know, you maybe grow up quicker.
0: Yeah, of course. I think also I, I'm i really grateful that through the sport, I learned a lot and I developed also my personality. I, I met a lot of people from all over the world with different, um, yeah, Cultures and it just gives you also the opportunity to uh, get out of your bubble, you know, and to, to develop. And um, yeah, I mean, this was a big thing also to open your eyes, what's going on in the world and you appreciate different things then suddenly. And it's just great that the sport brings me back also a lot. A lot of things that you would I would never have. I would never be without the sport. Even the sport can be super demanding. I mean, obviously, we all know that. But I mean, I would never change it. I would do it again.
2: So speaking of things that you have as a result of sport, where do you keep your medals?
0: Uh, Actually, just right over there. Here. This is for my boyfriend, actually.
2: Oh, very cool.
0: This is from Glasgow, this season. This is from wow. Cairo on the track, and here I just put it into a big thing, you know. Here, are some more, more world medals, like all over <laughs> here. Not enough space. Look at this, <laughs> just,
2: and here's some more.
0: Element. Just in there.
2: That's <laughs> awesome.
0: Know? Yeah.
2: We'll so have the most to share that. Thing. We're going to have to share that clip on social. We're going to have to share that clip on social. <laughs> no, but
1: I, I just, that picture there, seeing all of those medals, I remember you saying earlier, you know, t- turning professional at 18 in a very demanding environment and the manager saying you can be one of the best in the world and you saying, what are you talking about? I just want to have fun. What do you think of now when you look back at that 18-year-old Lisa and then you see all these medals just sitting there on your bench now?
0: Yeah, it's yeah it's crazy i at this time i was never thinking that this is going to happen actually sure i had always a good like surrounding you know my family my my friends i'm always the same friends (laughs) not a lot but these friends i have are just just incredible and it's just i'm always lisa you know i'm not lisa with medals that's just lisa so so that's that's the best thing, you That's know. super cool. And also, a medal is a medal, yeah. But, like, it reminds you on the event, but also the party with your loved ones, right? Like the joy, the emotions.
2: Uh, one more thing, Lisa, that, that most people don't have that sports brought you. Do you own, or does your mom own, any of the little Trek bobbleheads that I saw?
0: Bobbleheads? No, the new one yeah. get like, a little thing, the bobbleheads. Yeah. But I didn't got yeah. one. I was actually pretty like, oh. oh, I'm actually sad. Yeah, because obviously that, that would have been cool.
2: Yeah, I, I saw them on the website. I thought that was really cool.
0: I, I really, really love the theme about, yeah, they it's fun. And now being again on a track Factory, it was also a great experience. Like, it's a great factory. It's a great hap- headquarter. And, like, people, really, they can do everything there. They have a nice, you know... Uh, canteen and like a cafe where they can have breakfast and eat not really like solid food and uh, good food and um, yeah they can ride their bikes on the trails in the in the break it's a, it's a nice gym over there they can shower they have everything there like it's it's a good 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 environment so it was yeah it was was cool to see again and to be there
1: is that in waterloo
0: yeah exactly yeah so I I really like a lot of values in the team. Yeah, I really like like it a lot. Like the fun part as well. Yeah, that's cool. Like bring like we need to keep the fun, and I realize that too. Like you need to even yeah when when we when we quite struggle a lot, you you try to you have to try to remember yourself that that also the fun part is super important
1: that you can really sense that when i've been to the track factory in waterloo and you can really sense the values from the top down you you learn you meet the staff and you can tell that they've been there for years you know the person spraying the bikes or doing whatever and you get that same value system when you're sitting in the canteen and that seems to filter down to the racing team as well i think you've signed a two-year extension you have two more years on on the team So that probably shows that you, you're very happy in that, in that environment. And then are the Olympics next year, a big goal for you then again?
0: Yes. On the track. Yeah. Yeah. I have the feeling that I don't want to rush, like my development on the road was, I, I just struggled a lot with things coming in also mental things like. I just really want to focus on the Olympics next year on the track as well. And I want to gain my spot in the ITT, of course, which is going to be a hard way because the season was not good at all and I have to work on several things. And I'm not too stressed about because if I, if I will make it on the, on the ITT, I will make it. If not, I can just do my best. And for sure, the big goal is also on, on the track, of course. And yeah, so I will see how I will get back now to winter training, and then get through the 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 classics first, and then hopefully one Contour, and then towards the Olympics. And then yeah, I will see what's going on in the rest of the season and and how everything goes. And yeah.
1: We have a lot of triathletes who listen to this podcast. What are the improvements that you think you have to make on the bike to be better in the individual team time trial and get that German spot at the Olympics? I just
0: need to stay healthy as well. I got sick five times. I was traveling a lot this season. I had 60 race days. Just things were not working out that the way I wanted. I mean, I tried to train as hard as I could. Um, maybe sometimes over. Maybe some, yeah, it's just... It's just not running really smooth and I have to get things right. I changed again the coach now. I'm now in a track program and, uh, yeah. And also I think on the roads, just the training, just focus on the road training. Just don't go on a track five times a year. I don't know. I, I, I will see. I, I did not, like my thoughts were not totally in it right now. Like what I have to do to also get my mind together in the road race, uh, get back to to where I have been. Um, yeah, so, I mean, obviously also I'm really enjoying to race on a track. It brings me a lot of fun and joy. And sometimes I, I don't have it that much on the road of course so especially when you when you are not crazy successful right when you just have a bad race and not a bad race a really bad race so literally you you appreciate also that but yeah i mean i will see i have a lot of people around that have good knowledge from different like science team so and that's cool. So I have all the support and I can ask tons of questions and I will get an answer. So that's important, too.
1: Perfect. Thank you, Lisa. Well, yeah, I hope next year will be better. I hope you can stay healthy and yeah, I'd love to see you at the Olympics again. And you make try to make some space uh, on that table there for some for some more medals. Um, but I wanted to ask you, so obviously you learned about Super Sapiens at Canyon Shram um you didn't use it to its full potential but this year i can definitely tell that you have um yeah when was like when was the first time you heard about super sapiens was that just through the partnership at, at canyon Sram? and in this year why did you become so invested
0: yes it's through canyon Tram. yeah literally we get we got everything from canyon and also like the sensors and then yeah i mean i stopped with the team and then i was like also i want to get more benefit out of it and i would i was i want to work with them i could i want to continue work with them and not because i changed the team i i i don't want to have the super sapiens anymore or the opportunity i mean i can also buy them of course but like i need people that are yeah have knowledge about the super sapiens and we can talk about my data and actually analyze it because if i just read a super sapiens and so then i I got a little education. So, yeah.
2: And so what are some of the learnings you've taken from Super Sapiens like so, since using it?
0: Yeah, especially, you know, the breakfast and what you can add to put some clothes around your cups to have some nice little tricks, especially on a rest day. It's important to to start your day right to don't have spikes that, you just don't feel hungry all the time, for example. After the training, to recover as fast as, as possible, supporting with the nu- nutrition, like the recovery protocol, something like that, preparing an ITT, preparing a race. What is What What can be a, be a good pre-race meal? Yeah, a lot of questions, you get the answer and the possibility and the chance to not only feel it, you, c- you also can prove it.
2: So that, that brings us to the rush rounds and we'll start with with exactly that one. What is your favorite pre-race meal?
0: Actually, if the race is early, I, I would just have oats with some toppings like blueberries. Uh, not a lot of fat because obviously oats have already fibers and, and fat. Or um, just have a lot of pasta with a little omelet maybe like
2: awesome. Yeah. Now, what about afterwards? What's what do you, what did you eat it. after the Olympics? What were you thinking of? What was the, 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 the meal? Uh, I,
0: I can't remember. We didn't have a meal because we just went straight to the village. And then in the midnight, we went to the, to the food hall there and I would just have something, you know, I guess not super healthy, just something fun
2: what's something where what's something fun that you look forward to after maybe one of the the classics or something like that
0: yeah i mean uh when i go home my boyfriend is a really good i would say uh yeah a little chef so he's just super talented he he does a lot of self-made sourdough bread so i'm always looking forward to have good german sourdough bread or self-made pizza from him or yeah even go out and have just a super nice dinner like a nice I don't eat a lot of meat, but sometimes a nice piece of beef or whatever. So high quality, just nice food. So I eat I, I'm enjoying a lot of nice Love it. Like Love it possibilities. And the
1: and yeah. the morning before a race, how long do you like to eat before the race starts in the morning?
0: Uh, like three hours. Literally, normally three hours. Yeah.
1: Has it always been like that? Have you done that for years?
0: Yeah. Yeah actually yeah.
2: So you mentioned a, you mentioned some uh, no oat milk in the coffee anymore but what how do you take your coffee?
0: Oh I never enjoyed oat milk in the coffee because the top coffee just takes like oats and oats I have to eat too before my training but uh, yeah I I like a, a pour over you know I like espresso I like also a flat white so I don't know just but I feel like what I want I, yeah, when I'm traveling, I always do a pour over on the aeropressor or most of the time at the races, I would have a black coffee, which, which is totally fine. And when I'm at home, um, yeah, I would have sometimes a, a coffee with milk and I'm enjoying that too.
2: Lisa, do you have a nickname? No. That sounds like a, that sounds like a, no, I don't want to tell you what it is. Not a no, I don't have one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I got one on a track, obviously, because we were two Lisas, right? So the other Lisa was making jokes about me. Once we were like in a really shitty hotel in a Holiday Express tiny room. And we, it was at the end of the season. It was still track World Cups going on and on. And yeah, she, she made a joke with me because of a German movie. But you guys don't know the movie. And then I had suddenly a nickname. But just uh, during this time. Now it's fine. I'm Lisa again. So she's gone. <laughs>
1: <Wow>. <laughs>
0: which is wow. which is pretty sad that she's gone, actually. But yeah, I had a nickname. But not really. Like,
1: um, What was it? Why did she call you?
0: They called me actually Shanti. But yeah. It was kind of an insider. It, it was fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not my favorite name,
1: but actually it's a, it's a, it's a fun
0: story. Yeah. Cool. I'm going back to cool. Lisa, so no worries at all.
1: Lisa Klein. Lisa, well, it was wonderful to have you on the yeah. Super Sapiens podcast, man. So nice to connect with you. I've known you for a very long time, and it's great to see your, yeah. how your career has gone just from... Meeting you pre Olympic medal to post Olympic medal. Incredible and <laughs> so awesome. And I told you before we started recording, one of my yeah. best memories is with you at the team and you and I went to do a hundred K ride on on the island of Mallorca. It was oh that was one that was one of my best yeah. days, man. I was like, How do I get to do this as a job? This is
2: so cool. Yeah, exactly.
0: Right? So yeah. Hey,
2: so- we have to enjoy it. Thank you so much for joining us and I wanted to congratulate you. This is the first time we've been on a podcast, especially with someone that Zylin knows, and he didn't mention the fact that he's done an Iron Man. Have I told you I've done an Iron Man? You've done Lisa? it.
0: You've
1: done, done it. Four. I've <laughs> done four, yeah. Let's just let's just spend ten minutes talking about it quickly. <laughs> I've done four. <laughs> no, Ironmans, but
0: seriously, yes. you're crazy why I, I i would not survive that
1: i'm much fi- i'm much fitter than that uh, 100k ride
0: uh, of course you are fit but for t- like respect that's incredible if you enjoy it that's great i don't know if i could enjoy it i would rather do a long ride or whatever and not a challenge but maybe not an iron man i don't know
1: <laughs> we'll i see. will see not right but
0: that, that's that's great
1: yeah not run a marathon after riding 180ks and you still have to run a marathon it's not always fun yeah
0: <laughs> and no it's it's not fun. and also the swim before
1: it i don't do that part yeah you know? i i never do the swim part
2: <laughs>
1: um lisa yeah thanks for joining us again on the super Savians podcast man awesome thanks for making time for us and lovely to have you here
2: thanks so much
0: yeah thank you too
1: there you go lisa klein great chat with her david um one thing i wa- i asked her about was periodization sort of you know training parts of like times times of when you train and also she does multiple disciplines she does the road she does the track and it was fascinating to hear her talk about switching between those
2: yeah i think i mean that stuff's really cool i think the thing to remember perhaps it's not the case for track versus um the the roads that she does but i think um, definitely on the roads when you look at the team people often think there's a, a big difference between the riders and, and the reality is they're more similar than they are different now as I said the track is a little bit different because it's so short but even the sprinters on the roads are, are more similar to uh, an endurance athlete than they are to, to a power athlete but um, yeah I think the thing that was interesting for me is how much she emphasizes what she calls base which is really aerobic fitness and aerobic efficiency and and the, the role that plays and of course the better you are aerobically sort of the the more power you can produce there and then the, the less you need to top up. But there is a bit of a cost for that, for her top end performance. Um, and to a degree it may speak to a, her, um, whatever guess talent is the word people would use for it or her natural ability. So how good she actually is that she can transition. It may also speak to some of the infancy of some of the, um, the women's peloton or the women's sport comparatively. And I'm not sure I'm speaking from a place of ignorance there and I, and I don't mean any offense, but it may speak to that as well, which is in earlier phases, you need less specialization, right? We're seeing this with the Norwegian triathletes. They can transition from Olympic distance to Ironman and back because triathlete still in its infancy, but as it progresses, you end up with um, that lack of ability because you have to be a true specialist. So perhaps we're headed there or perhaps we're already there and she's um, going to you know, run into some some struggles for the Olympic cycle now
1: now yeah, that's interesting i mean traditionally cyclists have gone very seamlessly from the road to the track um but now you'd have to look at numbers but i think you are seeing less and less of that as everything becomes more professional more specialized more um, that comes with more investment into the sport you know and it, it obviously will become more professional then and more focused um but something that has come up in the last few podcasts too durability do you see that in her
2: yeah, for sure. She talked about performing twice in 90 minutes, right? That is truly durability. Like she, she had that durability of performance. So I think that's really what she's building and that's why she needs the aerobic base. Cause that helps with durability as well. Right. So we talked to, to Paul Larson about this and um, yeah, she's a great example of that performing. She also performed, let's not forget Yes, she, she did that for the, um, the, the, team effort on the track but then she also had the individual time trial and a few other races so she has to be able to recover and be durable there as well so um truly does does display durability and that's probably why she's getting better with age as well as developing durability
1: she also spoke about getting a post-workout glucose spike and that was something interesting that she learned about herself
2: yeah and i think this is where nuance is important and, and the industry has some um development to do is like not all glucose spikes are bad there are times where they actually have there is a physiological rationale that they might be good uh all bodybuilders speak about inducing post insulin a uh, post-workout insulin spikes because it's an anabolic hormone right that's what bodybuilders are trying to do and when you think about uh where we can learn we should be looking at other fields of breast and i think you know if they are looking for that we shouldn't be so scared of it in terms of recovery stimulus
1: um she she spoke about having fun in professional sport which is interesting because as she mentioned when she turned pro she wasn't so serious um and all she wanted was to have fun but she signed you know her first pro contract with in a high performance (laughs) environment but now later on in life too she's realizing that it also fun is and as professional as you are and as high performing performing as you need to be the fun element is important
2: yeah. I think the two funds are slightly different in this case. So let's keep that aside. I think the fun she wanted to have as an 18 year old may not be the same as the fun she wants to have now as a 27 year old. But um, regardless of that, I think you need to enjoy what you're doing on some level, particularly when things aren't going well. Everyone's having fun when you're winning, right? Or things are going well. It's when things aren't going well, how do you still have fun so that you can still turn up and enjoy it? Because I like, imagine you've had a tough tour and you know, you've got to finish the tour and, and all that. You're on day five or something like that for the women. And you know, they're out of it, right? For some reason, their ride has crashed or something. Like, how do you bring yourself back? How do you still perform? How do you refocus? All that stuff. And a lot of that's about relationships. It's about fun. It's about working for each other. And so that's why they have team camps. That's why they do team building, right? We talked to Teo about this as well, Tao Hart in a previous episode. And I think if you can develop that as a team and, and as the DS in the team, I think that's, that's super important, is how do we, what are the rituals? Do we have nicknames? All this stuff is about team identity, fun, culture building so that you can then drive true performance because you're trying to create a team that is greater than the sum of its parts so how that that's about working for each other and buy-in and culture and all those things and fun
1: you made a note during the 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 podcast you wrote here the best ability is availability
2: yeah she talked about what she needs to do to to perform this year and she said i need to not get sick Actually, the best ability is availability. Stacking days and weeks and months of training is the most important thing. More important than what you're doing in that time is that you are consistent, right? Consistently average training is better than inconsistently great training. So it's so important to stay injury-free, to stay sickness-free, to do all those things. And that's why one of the reasons I asked her about health and all those things, because it's not something that many athletes focus on. And actually, it makes a huge difference. So I thought it was great to hear that from her.
1: Yeah, fantastic chat with Lisa Klein. Um, oh, my mind's still blown by her picking up her phone and showing us through the camera all her medals, just sitting there behind her Olympic medals, world championship
2: medals. It's awesome. It's awesome. I love it. I, I didn't I didn't get to ask her about, because she had her gold Olympic medal next to her, what I assume was her boyfriend's silver Olympic medal or similar. I was going to ask if there's ever discussions around medal colors, but I decided <laughs> against it. I don't know her well enough.
1: Uh, send us your suggestions as to who you would like to see on the podcast or what you'd like us to discuss you can do so by emailing david at super also join us join the super sapiens discord channel share like and subscribe to the podcast in this episode hope you enjoyed it as much as we did david thank you so much and i'll catch you on the next one
2: thanks mate talk soon